But Acts chapter 21, beginning with verse 17, the translator heading reads, Paul visits James. And while you find your place, can I just say, oh, I got all kinds of things. Uh, it's been a while since I preached. I've been so grateful for all the men who have served us. Some of you are wondering, have asked me if I remember how to preach. And my answer to that is I'm so flattered that you thought I did know how to preach at one point. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they say it's like getting back on a bicycle, but I don't, I don't know about that. Um, I'm so glad as well. We were, we were returning to our study of the book of Acts last week, which, 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 which is by far, I think you'd agree with me by now, the book of Acts is the most action-packed book in the New Testament. It's a record, record of the early advance of the gospel, the origin story of the church, written as Luke, the author, states. This is why we're studying Acts, why Acts was written, that we may have certainty. That's what he says. That, that we may have certainty concerning the things we have been taught. Everything to date, listen, is, has played out as Jesus predicted as, as he had told. As, as I read one, we, uh, this week, one scholar, he wrote, wrote, Jesus promised his disciples three things. My the antenna's perked up. Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be absurdly happy, joyful, right? Completely fearless, and in constant trouble. <laughs> constant trouble. And as we return to the book of Acts again, no surprise, trouble is at the door, it's brewing, tensions in the air, things are about to go south really fast. Actually, I'm not going to say it anymore today, but just a peek ahead. Everything they're cooking here in this text is going to fail. It's going to fail spectacularly. Trouble is brewing, just as Jesus promised. So would you look with me? Chapter 21, verse 17, and following I'll read, then pray. Let's recount the story again, how God is saving the world. Verse 17. Luke writes, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Verse 18. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related, Paul, one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are zealous for the law. Verse 21. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Verse 22, what then is to be done? And that's the question at hand. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what they that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. 
Verse 26, then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. The very words of God, would you join me in a prayer for understanding, Father. Father, treat us again to a glimpse of your saving work through your Son and how you worked in centuries ago through your people by the power of your Spirit. Show us your Son. Give us a glimpse of him. Help us, help, help us to look up from ourselves and our complicated lives and, and our confusing uh, circumstances where we need to make lots of decisions and be strengthened once again, not by our resolve to follow you and do good things for you, but your resolve to save us. You're good. And this moment has been arranged by you for us for your glory because you are good. And Lord, I pray this morning in particular for the heart that's not ready for what we're about to read and hear. Prepare us. Soften our hearts. Soften our hearts that we might trust your son and give our lives to his cause. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, one, of, one of the best things I think about the book of Acts is that it bridges the gap. It fills in the storyline between the Gospels and the Epistles. The Gospels and the Epistles. And, and what I mean by that, if you're not familiar with the Bible, is that the, the New Testament consists of primarily four major eyewitness accounts about Jesus. Uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And letters, Epistles. The New Testament contains letters written to the early church Things like Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians. But listen, but Acts, the book of Acts stands alone in the New Testament as a sort of in-between. A theologically shaped retelling of the history of the first century. Most of the first century. And, 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 and the, the story, a retelling of the, of the early Christians, the first Christians and, and the early church. It is, as uh, one of my old professors, Dr. Johnson, he, he, he would say, Acts is, Acts is the floodlight, like a flashlight, the, the floodlight that illuminates the tunnel between the Gospels and the Epistles. The Acts is the floodlight that illuminates the, the tunnel between the Gospels and the Epistles. If it were not for Acts, you see, we, we would be very perplexed we take this for granted because we're so familiar with it, but we would be very perplexed if it were not for Acts by all the kinds of things we encounter in the New Testament. Like, who is this man named Paul? It's not in the letters who he is. How did Paul become an apostle? I thought we already had apostles. <laughs> Why are there so many epistles written by this man named Paul? We would be perplexed. How did all of these non-Jewish, and this is the big question, how did all these non-Jewish Gentiles become part of the church? Although the Gospels hint at it, speak about some of these things, there are gaps in the timeline without Acts. This is where Dr. Johnson is so helpful. He writes, if we, and he used to say, if we had no book of Acts as we read the New Testament, we would feel like 
passengers, imagine this, feel like passengers in an unlit train car entering a pitch black tunnel. You come out of the Gospels. You go into the tunnel. That when we finally emerge out the other side of the tunnel, <laughs> into daylight, the epistles, as our eyes readjust, and you know what that feels like, that blindness, right? We would discover that much has changed <laughs> from the Gospels to the epistles. It, he writes, there'd be new fellow travelers on the train, the Gentiles. There'd be new porters, the Apostle Paul and his companions, and a new conductor, the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts, it fills in the blanks, the gaps, the whys, so that we may have certainty concerning the things we have been taught. That's what, why Luke has written this. And, and, and then that begs the question, what is it that we have been taught this morning? A familiar lesson played out in this passage. It's an echo here. We, we, we've been reading about it in the epistles, but now we're seeing it live and in color in 4K. The early church practicing what they had been preaching, writing about, and what, oh, and what is written in all those letters that is so familiar to borrow from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which he wrote just prior to this moment in history. He wrote this, sealed the envelope, from Ephesus and then head off to what we're reading right here. Let me, let me, to play on his words a little, he wrote, now, and now we're observing him. This is what we're about to do. We're observing him practicing what he preaches. A lesson. We must, as Paul says, I have, we must become all things to all people that by all means we might save some. You might have expected this text to be about what, uh, so let's say, an uh, 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 intermural debate about the practices of the law and Jewish customs and how we're free in Christ. But actually what's going on here, we're watching Paul and he's setting an example before us that we, you and I, here California 2023, 20, we must become all things as he has become all things to all people that by all means, we, and when we say we, we mean God working through us, we might save some. You've read that in the letters, the epistles, you've observed it in the life and ministry and death of, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus, and now here it is for us to take in and, 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 and to be inspired by as the Spirit of God guides the earliest of the early church with a prayer that he might do it again in us. We must become all things to all people that by all means we might save some. Now, allow me to explain what's going on in Acts 21 so you can see this and we can apply it, right? Some observations. But first, the Apostle Paul, this is what's going on. The Apostle Paul has been warned repeatedly. You heard this last week, just prior to our text, repeatedly, repeatedly, in all, all kinds of different ways, do not go to Jerusalem. You shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Everyone is telling Paul not to go. His friends, they're crying like babies, right? You remember that? Luke, the author of Acts, slips in a little hint that even he was telling Paul, I told you so. I told him not to go. Agabus, prophet, don't go, Paul. Scary, scary illustration. But what does Paul do? He's like every one of us. He goes. 
He goes. And he says, I love this, just a few verses above, you heard this last week, verse 13, what are you doing? As they all tell him, they go, weeping and breaking my heart. (laughs) For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. (laughs) They say, don't go. Paul says, go, right? And we know the reason, the primary reason why Paul, Paul, Paul is dead set on going to Jerusalem is because he has an offering. He's delivering an offering that's been collected by, for the Jerusalem church by all the other churches throughout Galatia and, all, and around the ancient Near Eastern world. The Jerusalem church is suffering, suffering from a terrible famine. And the non-Jewish Gentiles have taken up an offering as benevolence to care for them. This is really cool. Listen, Acts, Acts is filling in the gaps from what we read at the end of the letter of Romans a few years ago when we studied that and, and, and what happened. Watch, he's going to fill, Luke's filling in the gaps on what happens in Acts 21, but why Paul is going. And at the end of Romans, the letter to the Romans, he writes, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. What a nice letter, right? He tells the Romans. Anybody writes, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. This is beautiful. The, the, Paul is undeterred, literally willing to die. He's literally willing to die to deliver that offering that we read about in the epistle. Why is Paul going to Jerusalem to bring this gift? So, so compelled is he that he goes, and when he arrives, chapter 21, verse 17, if you look, it says, when we, Luke's including himself here, and all of his, Paul's companions, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. What a party, maybe a relief at the moment, right? Verse 18. Then on the following day, now they're there another day, Paul went in with us to James, the apostle, and all the elders were present. Filling in some blanks here. We got all this stuff about apostles in the, in the Gospels, but now we have elders. Acts is filling in the gap, isn't it? Now Jerusalem has pastors. It's not just, not, no longer just apostles. Verse 19, they go before all of the elders. Verse 19, after greeting them, he, Paul, related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry, and when they heard it, they glorified God. Oh, you gotta feel the joy, right? You gotta feel the joy. This wasn't some sort of cursory, you know, like year in review, and, and a nice slide deck presentation uh, from a visiting missionary. This, this was a name-by-name, blow-by-blow retelling. You could feel it. He would share a little. They would clap a little more they would clap they're all rejoicing a blow-by-blow retelling of Paul's three missionary journeys this is the last one because this is all going to blow up in his face I would have wanted to be there would you I can't imagine but then after rejoicing and glorifying God for all that God had done not what Paul had done but what God had done the church shares the bad news. 
<laughs> Ironically, the bad news, middle of verse 20. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who believed. You'd think, oh, this is fabulous news. Now I've come to Jerusalem, the mother church, and here it is, thousands upon thousands of Jews as well as it, the city swelled for a festival. Thousands upon thousands have believed. And they are zealous. It, they would say, they are zealous for the law. And they have been told about you. Uh-oh that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, who recorded the law for them, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Verse 22, and this is the crucial question for them and for us, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. <laughs> Lies and deception about Paul have been spread. Ugly untruths about what Paul and his companions have been teaching. We saw this when we studied the letter to the Galatians just this last year. Artifacts are littered throughout the letters. Defenses of what Paul and all the other, his companions and all the other apostles are teaching all over the region. They're there's artifacts of this littered all over the New Testament because, because, listen, because in the early church, if there was any debate, any theological issue, if there was a sociological uh, issue that, if, if they were talking about the natures and the implications, uh, if they were wrestling with what, what they had just, what had just transpired and now the Lord is in heaven and the church is advancing, the gospel is reaching people. The spirit is pushing forward. But if there was, if there was anything they're wrestling with, it, it wasn't. Listen, it wasn't the death of Christ, their Jewish Messiah, the promised one who laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice for his people, for church, the Israel of God. That that wasn't what was ruffling their feathers. It wasn't the bee in their bonnet, you know, whatever. It wasn't what's getting their goat. I can't think of any of these others. Uh, bugging them it was here here was what the problem was this is what was nagging at them it was the racial social racial interplay and i'll use that word that's a euphemism for what's going on here the interplay between the jews and the gentiles you think you think you've seen some animosity racial tension you haven't seen nothing like this. Those to whom the promise was first given, the Jews, and now as you come out the dark tunnel, get our vision back, we look around, there are new people on the train. The Gentiles. What we have here, listen, what we have here is Paul arrives in Jerusalem with his present for the, for the Jewish church, the Jewish Christians, Think of it almost as like a, a peace offering. And, and notice, if you just note, the gift is never mentioned here. Paul has got to go because he's got to bring this gift. You might think all the churches throughout the known world have gathered together a gift to bring to this suffering Jewish church. And there's no mention of it here. It's overshadowed by something much larger. Maybe even 
the gift didn't work. <laughs> what we have here is the potential, oh, and you've got to feel the drama, the potential for a racial riot. A riot, maybe like we saw rioting in, during COVID, right? And if you live in Old Town Orange, it got scary at times. I don't know if I told you, I was sitting in my office one day and I was down here and it was by my window and I just start hearing the chanting and then it's getting louder and louder and then finally I looked up from my books and I'm like, what is this thing going on? And, and I had already known that they were, they, were, they were parading around the plaza and there was a, there was a protest and it, it, was, it was getting close to a riot. Neighbors were nervous. But then I went back to my office, my safe little library and, and I'm, look, I'm looking and, and I, so I, I pulled it up do you know there's a, there's a camera that, you know, the city controls that watches the plaza? I pulled it back up and there was nobody there. But I was hearing the writing. It was getting louder and louder. And then I realized they were coming down Chapman. They were coming right down beside my office. And there I was with just one pane of glass between me and the riot. The powder keg is in the room. And they all... Feel it. There are thousands upon thousands of Jewish people who have come to believe in Jesus for their salvation, their reconciliation, and shalom with God, who still love being Jewish. They're not trusting in their Jewishness for their salvation, but they love being Jewish. All their customs and their traditions. And they have heard about this guy named Paul, verse 21, who has been saying, they, verse 21, and they have been told about you, hmm, that you, they don't count themselves, do they, in this, the elders of the church, you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. What then is to be done? You might, you might expect Paul to once again refuse everyone's counsel to take a stand, to defend himself, to reject any wit of compromise, to stand on his rights and his theological convictions. But no, no, in the, okay, in the mortal words, I can't shake this, in the mortal words of Kenny Rogers, uh, that great American poet and, and American thinker. Right? This time, yeah, <laughs> entertain one person in the room. You got to know when to hold them. <laughs> you got to know when to fold them. <laughs> this is Paul's, know when to walk away and know when to run. Listen, <laughs> Paul, Paul plays the hand. Paul exercises great restraint. That's, that's what we read here. Self-control. What we see among the elders in Jerusalem and Paul the Apostle and his companions is wisdom. He listens to his friends this time, to the council of the church, and does what they tell him to do. To the chagrin of everyone who sent him off to Jerusalem in the first place. He goes all out, actually. He spends serious money. We're not going to study all the ins and outs of what's going on there, but there's a Nazarite uh, vows. These are, this is expensive. This is shaving your head stuff. This is scary. But this is expensive. This takes 30 days. This is 
this is a big deal. Between Paul and the other three guys, this is four months of salary. He goes all out, humbles himself. He denies himself. He listens to others, their counsel, and goes above and beyond and out of his way to do things that he knows he doesn't have to do. He doesn't have to do, but he did them. Why? Because as he had just written while he was in Ephesus, one chapter ago in the book of Acts, in his letter to the Corinthians, in the New Testament, who were demanding their way, a church that was high on themselves, wanting what was theirs by right and privilege, and admiring those who never take no for an answer and take what there is theirs and live their own truth. Right? That's what's going on in Corinth. Paul writes, he writes to them just moments before this happens. He writes, and we're watching him practice now what he preaches. For though I am free from all, I don't got to listen to none of you guys. I have made myself a servant to all. That I might win more of them. And we're in view there. He writes, to, to the Jews I became as a Jew. There you go. This is where it happened. In order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I might not being myself under the law, right? That I might win those under the law. Unbelieving Jews who are held captive to the Mosaic law. To those outside the law, the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, which is the law of love that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And then he writes, I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. You want a mission statement for Sovereign Grace Church of Orange? <laughs> there it is. I might become all things to all people that I might, by all means, I might save some. And then he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul was willing to do whatever it took to ensure that nothing he would do would prevent those to whom he was preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus and his message and seeing his life, Paul's example, and, and their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, he wants nothing to do with anything that will hinder them at, at, at all. As Paul writes, he writes, oh, look this up later. You could just write this down if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I have become all things to all people that by all means, it's crazy talk, all means I might save some, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. The good news that forgiveness for sins is possible through the finished work of Christ. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that it might go forth, that I might share with them all those that he has made himself a servant for, may share with them in the gospel's blessing. Which gets us to today. Which gets us today as we heard Paul's appeal just a 
few paragraphs later we find in 1 Corinthians. After he has said that, this is what he says, just a verse or two. He says, same letter. He wrote this just before he got here in Acts 21. He says, so whether you eat or drink, you know this passage if you know your Bible, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is where this text comes from. Give no offense. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. And if you just stop there, if you don't, even if you know your Bible, you got to stop the record scratches and you say, what did Paul just say? He said, I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage. That's what's going on here. But that, that of many, that they may be saved. This is why we're here. This is why we live in Old Town Orange, in Orange County. That we could follow Paul and his example as he compels us to do, to imitate him. We too must become all things to all people that by all means we might save some. You might be here and you don't know what we're talking about here. This is new to you or it's really old to you. Maybe it's offensive to you. You don't believe this. You know deep down inside this is not me. This is why we exist. It's why we're holding this service. It's why the chairs were set up and the musicians practiced and I'm practicing to learn how to be a preacher. <laughs> Again, so, so it's been told. We, we too must become all things, including being a Californian. Become all things, living here, doing my shopping here, doing my school in here, raising my family here. Become all things to all people that by all means we might save some. Let me make some brief observations. You want to apply this? Here's one. What should we do? Right? They ask the question, what should we do? I'm asking the question, what should we do? There are thousands upon thousands of people out there that have heard stuff about you that's not true. What should we do? Number one, <laughs> a deep we, this, this requires a deep, deep, mature understanding of the gospel. If you want to do this, if you want to become all things to all people, that by all means, God might save some through your witness, you are going to need a deep, deep, mature comprehension and understanding of the gospel. Listen, this is the problem. The first observation is not, here's the formula. Follow these three steps and you won't offend anybody and you won't step on the gospel and you won't trample the truth, but instead everyone will like you and you'll win friends and influence people for Jesus. That's not what we get here. <laughs> what we're watching here, and you might be asking the question, is why was Paul able to do all these things? Why was Paul able to take these purification rituals and, and go and contribute to the temple and all these things? How, why would he do the things they told him to do? 
The only way to know what you should do and not do is by developing a mind of wisdom, knowing the right way to live, and a heart and a love and affection and an understanding of the gospel. What Christ has done for you. When you grip that, that's, that's what we've been studying in Acts. That's what we're always talking about, we're singing about it. When we get that, what is, what is it that God has required of us? And what has he prohibited? What, what would violate that in which is true and beautiful and good and what, what is effective in, in reviving the soul and what is a witness to the, the goodness and the graciousness and the mercy of, of God? And what's not? You know, what's interesting is, is that most commentators, most scholars, when they write about this, most preachers, actually, I encountered this this week when I said, what in the world is this about? And I was studying, and I'm reading, and I'm thinking, what is this all about? And I went and looking, and the most common response to this text is, okay, that was good for Paul, but let me tell you what you're not supposed to do. And just a list of things, you shouldn't consider this, you shouldn't consider that, this is dangerous, don't do what Paul does here. It's just not that simple. Your life requires wisdom. Your life requires a comprehension because it's not simple. It's not simple. Your neighbors are complex. Your family is complex. <laughs> right here, the situation, it wasn't, the, the issue wasn't who can be a Christian. The church is wrestling with can I be a Jewish Christian? They're asking the question, how, how can my culture, my heritage, my people, my life, my history, how can that comply with, fit into my practices, how, how I conduct my life, how does that fit into my new faith in Christ? And when someone asks me to do something that wouldn't be my preference or even something I have to do. Should I say yes? Or should I say no? What should I do? What should we do? Oh, we need discernment and exercise and strengthen our discernment that we might, we might know what it is we're to do. This is why back in Galatians, oh, I listen, uh, well, I won't read it for you. He, Paul, Paul's debating with brothers as to whether or not they should still circumcise themselves and their children. They called it the circumcision party. It's a bad joke. We've made it many times when we were studying the book of Galatians. But should we or shouldn't we? Interesting enough, Paul circumcised one of his companions, Timothy. <laughs> Poor Timothy. Our lives require a deep, deep understanding of what it is that God has done through his son, Jesus and its implications as to how we are to live our lives. We're free. We are so very free. Jesus being the freest man who ever lived, not worried about what people think, not needing anyone's affirmation or approval, but one, his Father, and so to us. That's observation number one. Second observation. I'll say it, you, I'm included here, but you, you may not insist on your rights. 
You, you can't insist on your rights as an individual, as a Christian, as a who you are and what you believe and what you prefer and what you're like. As one scholar said, D.A. Carson, he said, how can Christians stand beside the cross and insist on their rights? That's what's gripped Paul's life. He's seen the risen Savior. He's seen what the Christ has done. He's laid down his life and considered himself to be a servant. Though he was equal with God, he was God himself, but yet he didn't insist on any of his rights or his positions or his preferences. I don't think it was his preference. It's being justly tried. Just zip his lip. Cannot insist on our rights. We, listen, this is what it requires. To do this, to do this, we must exercise self-control and great restraint. Your lives, your preferences, your possessions, your culture. Listen, the gospel is at stake. In this text here, the unity of the church is at stake first and foremost. We got thousands upon thousands of Christians. Paul's not disputing that. They're zealous for the law. They love being Jewish Christians. Paul's not questioning whether or not they're in or out. But what he does next could have implications on the unity of the church at large. This is a gospel issue. This is also a unity issue, even among us. We require self-control and discipline, which is, which is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the power of God at work in us not to insist on our rights. Now, listen, here's F.F. Bruce, an old scholar, quoted by John Stott, an even older scholar. Here's what he wrote. I couldn't find F.F. Bruce writing on it, but here's John Stott quoting him. He says, a truly emancipated spirit such as Paul's is not in bondage to his own emancipation. <laughs> or put it another way. This is how Stott says it. A truly liberated spirit such as Paul's is not in bondage to his own liberty. That's what we're talking about here. You are free, and you're free indeed, but we're not in bondage now to our freedom, as in I must have whatever I want. Actually, Paul writes that. We studied that in Galatians when he says, for you are called to freedom, brothers, right? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. You're captive now to the law of Christ. Use your freedom to not insist on your privileges and your rights. I like it a certain way. Oh gosh, you've been around our church long enough. You love the way whatever we do things. And someone else comes in and they don't do it the way we do it. So that's why we plant churches to get rid of them. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'll get your attention. <laughs> now, listen. We got to have a deep understanding of the gospel. We we have to exercise self constraint and and self control. Listen, there's a thousand decisions for you to make this week, as you become all things to all people. That by all means, you might save some. You know they're not as fashionable anymore, but like boycotts. When and when should we not say we won't 
frequent that establishment or that company because of what they stand for? We got to ask that question. Well, if I participate in it, am I saying something about what I believe? If I don't participate in it, am I, am I am in some way distancing myself and maybe turning it off for all those that were listening to me? Put up a big yard sign to make your neighbor across the street angry. So they put up a bigger yard sign. So then you get a neon sign. No. <laughs> Social media is a great place to ask the question, should I do that? What should I do? I just read on an obscure blog this conspiracy theory about X, Y, and Z. Should I let everyone I'm trying to proclaim the gospel to know this too? The secret knowledge of whatever that thing is for you. Self-restraint. All things, even quiet things. Not doing things. How about, how about just when you're not insisting on your rights, not judging, negatively judging what others are doing. Boy, we're really good at talking about how everyone else is doing. I don't think my neighbors do it as much as we do it. They're kind of clueless. They're like, I like that guy across the street. Oh, that guy, you know, so-and-so. Oh, man, we were together. Thing. And I'm thinking, yep, them, okay, I got a list of things that they need to grow in. And those people over there, they got to check out their priorities here. And I, I got all these lists of things that I am judging and calculating and wondering what they're doing. And maybe I'd just say, you know what? You live your life. I'll live mine. Let me tell you about Jesus. And I don't want to do nothing that gets in the way as best I can from you hearing that. One more comment on this about exercising self-constraint and discipline as well. You know, this is just a great test example in the, the, the failure of crowdsourcing our answers. You know, the mob is always wrong. Sometimes the hard way is the best way. And sometimes the most reckless, dangerous, suffering way is the wrong answer. Sometimes the easy way out is the right way. It's what you should do. You could look at Paul and say, he took the easy way out. I read a lot of books this week, a lot of guys saying, Paul just, you know, he kind of laid over. He's going to get taken in, into uh, custody soon enough. Might as well just take one for the team, <laughs> you know. But no, sometimes avoiding the conflict is actually the right thing to do. What should you do? Sometimes it's not making, no, let me say it in modern parlance, not being a jerk. And not saying what you got to say at that moment. Because they got to hear it. Even if it undoes everything else I've ever told them and showed them. Oh, we got to exercise self-constraint. If we want to do this, we need the power of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, the, Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit to come enable us to be disciplined, self-controlled. Last, last one, maybe most importantly, and this, is at the, this touches at the, the deepest part of the heart of our Savior and why we're here. We have to cultivate a love for others. 
inside the church and outside the church. Let me ask you a question. Why, why did Paul go to Jerusalem? And why did Paul go along with the Jerusalem's church's elders' advice? This is a good answer. To his credit, the reason he did it was because he loved. He loved them. These thousands upon thousands of Jewish believers who heard lies about him and were ready to string him up. Yet his heart was undeterred. He loved them enough not to stand up for his own rights and beat his own drum, but instead make one more move towards them. He loved he loved his Jewish brothers and sisters. Listen, one scholar writes, he, became, he becomes a captive in Jerusalem. This is what's about to happen. He's going to become a captive in Jerusalem because he's willing to put himself at risk for the sake of Jewish Christians who value their her- Jewish heritage. Listen, later, under house arrest in Rome, he declares that his imprisonment is because, and oh here, the tunnel between the Gospels and the letters he declares in the end of Romans that is, his imprisonment is because of the, his hope for Israel. That's why he ends up in the predicament he will end up with soon. And this is what he, this one scholar writes. It's so helpful. Paradoxically, Paul's lengthy imprisonment and the witness that this prisoner bears to Israel's hope are signs of his loyalty to Israel although he's being attacked as a renegade. At what cost should we be willing to pay to maintain peace and unity in the church and a relationship and an audience, an ear with our neighbors and this city? What... what, might you be willing to do what should you do to love the lost and the church listen our aim in all of this is why the savior has sent us here that some might be saved can't insist on our rights we got to understand why it is we're saved in the first place and how it is that that comes but but listen sovereign grace church we must become all things to all people that by all means you and I as we live our lives here in orange might be the means in which God saves some. Would you pray with me? Father, Father, oh it's so good to have your words before us. It's so good, it's so good to be reminded of how you are saving and your heart for the lost, your heart for the church, your heart for us. Father, would you give us absurd happiness? Would you also give us fearlessness and courage? Teach and train our minds and our hearts to comprehend and understand the gospel. And then with that, too, to live our lives as a pledge for your grace and your mercy to our friends and our brothers and sisters, to our families, to our neighbors, to this city. That 
that we might share with them in the blessings of the gospel. Do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.